This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your host, Justin Williams. And today, you know who I'm with. I'm with my partner in crime, the other half of the trio that is now a duo temporarily because our partner is missing. We love him. Hope he's doing well. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the man behind the mic, the guy who makes me sound so good, and he writes great articles about NFT. Man, if you're not on this right now, you're missing out. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Colbert Durant. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Living the dream. Right on. Right on. Right. Yeah, we had a bit of a technical issue early on, but right now we have that fixed, and I can hear an echo of myself, so it's kind of confusing, but I love it. <laughs> Who doesn't like the sound of their own voice? <laughs> and that chuckle you heard is our guest. Kobe, do you know we have an amazing skateboarding talent on our hands right now. Her last name is very interesting, and I'm probably going to butcher it, despite the fact she already told me what it is, and I suck at last names. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Canada's skateboarding own Annie Guglia. Annie, how you doing? Yeah, hi. It just said, like, Canada's something, and then it just, I couldn't hear. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no worries. Oh. No worries. How are you? Good. <laughs> yeah. So again, Thanks we apologize. Oh, anytime, anytime. It's thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure to meet you. So, walk us through. How was the Olympics for you? The whole experience. Woo! Um, the whole like you want me to start like four years before it started, before the Olympics, or just the Olympic like in Tokyo. I mean, preferably in Tokyo, but if you want to go the whole way back to your lineage, I want to know everything about grade one. <laughs> um, well, I'll, do, I'll be super uh, brief with the whole process, but basically the, it was skateboarding's first time in the Olympics. So I started training for the Olympics about four years before uh, Tokyo. And um, basically what happened is I was, um, for skateboarding, it was the top 20 in the world to go to the Olympics. And I was in the top 20 for like four years and a month before I didn't qualify. Um, and this is relevant for my Olympic story, don't worry. But like, <laughs> so I didn't qualify for um, like a month before the games. And four days before the games, um, they said, never mind, we're going to have alternates because someone just tested positive for COVID. So can you come to Tokyo like right now? Because the contest is in three days. And I was like, sure. So I went to Tokyo and basically my Olympic experience is very tinted by the fact that I like it was so last minute that I didn't even have time to stress about my performance or like I wasn't even ready, to be honest. Like I just kind of it just happened and it ended up being the best experience because um well first of all it was i was making history with all my friends but also the fact that um 
it just ended up being a very positive experience uh, for me personally. So it was really cool. I love that. Those kind of stories that weren't meant to be, but then come to fruition. We love those. <laughs> exactly. So when you approached the, um, I don't want to say the gates of Tokyo, but essentially like, uh, what was it? Where the athletes stay? Athletes Village? Uh-huh. Were you like a kid in a candy shop just looking around, seeing other athletes, being like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, the thing also, like to bounce off what I just said, like I was only in Tokyo for 48 hours. <laughs> you know how people get there like a uh, full two weeks before their competition usually, or like at least before the opening ceremony or something like that. And yeah. for me, I just got there. I had 24 hours before my competition and I had to leave right after. So I got to Tokyo the Saturday night and everybody was so hyped in the Canadian, uh, I don't even know how it's called, like the, because basically in the Olympic Village, every country has like a, a tower of apartments where people live. So in the Canada building, like everybody was so hyped that I, I was called last minute. So it was a very cool experience, but I was also so overwhelmed by positivity and like just people being so happy and me being so happy that it was kind of like, uh, I, I, I didn't have time to process it until, so basically Sunday night, which was the night before the contest. That's when I visited the whole Olympic village. So I was walking by myself the whole night cause I couldn't sleep cause of jet lag cause I was on the other <laughs> no. side of the planet. <laughs> so I couldn't sleep. So at 3 AM, I was just walking around the whole Olympic village. I was like, wow, that's where Russia is. Wow. Not Russia wasn't there, but like, uh, that's where, uh, the Netherlands are and like the, the yeah. building. And I was like walking around and, and I was trying to see for Simone Biles, but I couldn't find her. <laughs> oh, that's fair. If I, if I was there personally, I'd be making dumb jokes like, oh my God, I can see Russia from here. Also, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, was a, that was a specific one and I understood the... <laughs> we love that. Kobe. The reference. <laughs> How much time did you have to actually prepare on the street course? Um, 40 minutes. That's it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was very, very quick. And um, it was so those 40 minutes were surrounded by like two times three hour interviews. <laughs> also, <No>. so <laughs> because I was only there for a day, so everybody was like, I want to talk to you. To you so um i had basically like three hours of interviews and then 45 minutes of practice and then three hours of interviews and then competition and then back to montreal like back to canada so uh, yeah very quick moment in tokyo but uh and those 45 minutes honestly it, the thing with skateboarding too is like it's not um it's uh one of the parts of skateboarding is the creative creativity so every skate park for each competition is different. And the the reason for that is that we don't want people to be able to like train for four years on that same course and have like one line. And they're not actually like a good skateboarder is someone who can adapt to any skate park. So, um, so that's, that's part of it. So that skate park I hadn't skated before. So that, that made it even harder. It's not like, for example, if I was a diver and I knew on, like I've been training on that same height for years, you know, like I would have known exactly what I was going to do. But like I get to Tokyo, it's a brand new skate park. So all the rails, all the everything is different. The speed for every obstacle is different. I had to figure that out in 45 minutes. So it was kind of hard, but it was fun. Now, you've competed at X Games before, correct? Yes. So how was the setup in Tokyo in comparison? Um, it's, it's bigger. Like everything was bigger 
than what we're used to in competition. So that oh. was another surprise. Yeah, that was another surprise. I don't know why they did that, but like everything was bigger. And the whole skate park was about two or three times a usual skate park that we have for a competition. So that was a big surprise for me because I was like, wow. We, for, um, so the format is usually like, it's two 45 second runs. So you're going in the whole skate park for 45 seconds, trying to do like as many tricks as possible and the best ones that you can do without mm -hmm. falling. And then you have five attempts for best tricks. That's how we call them. And then they, out of those seven scores, they pick your four best scores. And that's your like total thing, total um, amount of points. And but for when the skate park is super big in 45 seconds, you don't even like usually you have them to like go about two times around the skate park, two and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the Olympics, you ba barely had time to go one time around the whole thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so it was really hard to it. Like all those little things wouldn't matter if it wasn't the Olympics. But now that it's the Olympics and you only have one chance, you know what I mean? Um, so it, it, it ended up being like, very hard to adapt but at the same time it was like i really liked it honestly i really like the course was amazing that, that would be a skate park i would like to skate every day okay okay and how tight are the uh skateboarding community now what i'm not sure what the what do you mean like how how close-knit are are everyone when it comes to the international competition it's like very close because skateboarding is, is it's funny because it's because it just became an olympic sport everybody who was at the olympic or like on the comp competitive level uh, international competitive level is all people who started skateboarding usually like just for fun and with their friends and stuff and now we ended up like having this whole new platform of highly competitive skateboarding so it was funny because like all the other girls on the course with me were all my friends we've been skating together some of them for like over 10 years we've been skating together so it, it was really cool like skateboarding is a very big it's an individual sport and it's a competitive sport on that level but like it's very it's a very community driven sport and so so yeah it was it's fun like it's it's fun that it's keeping that side of skateboarding even on the olympic level brilliant we love close-knit communities kobe and i are pretty close and I don't know if you saw, but the the women uh, park skateboarders won like a I don't even know how it's called exactly, but like the the um, like an award from the um, International Olympic Committee on like fairness and not fairness in sport, no. but like a, like a respect like no respect in sport or something like that. Because in one of in the finals for the women park, um, the girl who usually wins all the events like she's she's by far like in the point rankings and stuff so, like she wins all the time and then she missed her run like completely missed her last trick and then ended up like being fourth instead of winning mm -hmm. and all the other girls like when she fell like they, they put her on their shoulder and they were like Whoa, like you you still win in our hearts or whatever Aww. like and and like it was it was re a really good moment and that moment won like a bunch of olympic awards <laughs> for oh, like respecting sport and yeah it was cool that sounds like the most canadian thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> but it's not even canadian it was, I like, know. it was like japanese but it's um it, it just shows i think it shows like the the community of skateboarding and and i think skateboarding was like very well represented in the, in the olympics so it was cool yeah I was, I was glad to see it sorry correct me didn't a, a child early teenager win 
Yeah, um, one uh, silver in street. Mm. So in my so basically in skateboarding, there's street and park. It's two disciplines. And okay. in in street, which is my discipline, um, the girl who won second. Well, actually, the whole podium was like teenagers. But yeah, the yeah. girl who won second was thirteen or twelve, and the girl who won was sixteen, and then the third was fifteen, something like that. <laughs> yeah, basically under sixteen, neither one of them can drive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. So, exactly. You can't drive, but you have an Olympic gold medal. <laughs> wow! I feel like I've done nothing with my life. <laughs> Same. Um, no, legit. You're you're an Olympic athlete. You don't get to talk. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so when you have 45 seconds to put around and do what you need to do, what is your go-to trip? Well, that's exactly, it's funny that you ask it like this because that's exactly what I had to do. Like just my go-tos because of the jet lag and everything. I was so tired that at the Olympics, which was the, a little bit of the sad part because when you're competing, you're trying to push yourself more than like your usual skating. But at that point, I was like so tired. I didn't sleep the night before and stuff. So I went with my go-to tricks. And um, that's what I've been like, no, those are the tricks that I've been practicing my for like the past four years for example and like my pocket tricks like i can do that even if i didn't stretch like you know what i mean mm-hmm. um yeah. and and at the olympics to be honest like we only had i think 10 minutes before the competition and it was at 7 a.m or 6 a.m so yeah i went with my go-to tricks <laughs> and uh yeah that's my that's how i i ended up uh having to do it <laughs> oh, okay. So what is one of your, your go-to tricks? The only thing I really know is like a nully tray flip or whatever it's called. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good one if you only know one. Um, the, so <laughs> so if I can just name the, name drop some skateboard tricks. Go here. ahead. Yeah, go um, ahead. Feeble 180. Okay. Um, um, 50-50 body varial. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, the good, good little tricks like that. Um, I did it. I mean, I did way more than that, but I'm not going to like name my whole run. But like those would be like two good tricks, like the unusual trick that people have in their like as their pocket trick that I I can pull out of my hat pretty often. <laughs> those names just sound so cool. I'm not going to lie. You have no idea what they mean. None you? whatsoever. <laughs> I only played Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 <laughs> one time in my life. <laughs> So you can nolly tray flip nose blunt, but <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, I know a nolly tray flip from a rap song called nolly okay. tray flip. <laughs> All right. So usually for a competition, you have weeks to prep and everything. You have but you have your diet down. Mm-hmm. When it comes to skateboarding, how much prep do you do? Let's I don't even know. So you have like a month to train. How does your regimen? How is the transition from not? training every day to training every day is there like a diet plan is there like do you have a coach like what happens with that Mm -hmm. and all of this that you just named is brand new to skateboarding so we were learning like i was like almost like a little guinea pig we were trying to figure out how to adapt um skateboarding to and like especially a lot of skateboarders uh like wouldn't like i started stretching four years ago you know what i mean like it like we had to go far (laughs) um but like it changed. So I would say that's the thing that changed the most, the fact that we adapted the physical aspect and also the mental aspect of skateboarding. So I had a mental, like a sports psychologist that I was seeing before competitions, especially and during competition. Uh, and we have a head coach at Canada Skateboard 
I'm going to take Canada skateboards example because it's the only one I know like in details, but like, I don't know how other countries adapted, but like for us, we had a head coach. Um, and then in competition, we had a coach that was present for like helping us figure out our line and stuff. And then outside of competition, we had somebody else that we could refer to. Um, and then just training outside of skateboarding, um, like physically and stretch, like stretching and working out to be stronger on your board. Like all of this was, and it sounds really <laughs> obvious when you're, mm -hmm. when you come from other sports, but like for skateboarding, it was brand new. Um, and I really liked it because it made, it really made me a better skateboarder to approach it from the athlete side. Um, and like incorporate all those things into my skateboarding. So I, I honestly really liked it, but that was all, yeah, that's all brand new. And in the future, it's going to get way more specific. Like for us, it was more like, how can we incorporate this into what we're already doing? But like for future athletes, for the next generation, they're going to like, that's how the, uh, they're going to train for the Olympics, for example. Right. I feel like eventually skateboarding academies will open up. Yeah, exactly. And like, like, for example, now they have um, Canada skateboard, they, they just had a training camp for park skateboarders and, and they're going to have one for street skateboarders uh, soon because the competitions start uh, in four months or something. So it's already like it's already starting to and uh, and another thing like just having a, a yearly training plan. So basically, just like any athlete, for example, if you have a competition next month, like a month and a half before you're going to change the way you skate and for example even onboard training like you're going to have um you're going to have for example um working on consistency or working more on like uh specific tricks like technical developments and stuff like that so every week we had different objectives right oh, okay that makes sense it's actually kind of crazy for me to see the sort of worldwide acceptance for skateboarding now because so I skated during like the golden era of skateboarding. I, I skated mm -hmm. during during the Bones Brigade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably the biggest single boost in skateboarding as far as the market is concerned was when mm -hmm. I really got into it and street skating was my thing as well. That's I like to push the limits of street skating. But at that time, the motto was skateboarding is not a crime. Yeah. <laughs> now it's in the Olympics. <laughs> and like you said, <laughs> there are countries that are actively preparing their athletes to compete at a higher level in this particular discipline. It's just crazy for me to see where it's gone. How has the skateboarding community developed in Canada? Well, it obviously changed. And like you said, the fact that now it's being way more accepted is kind of funny to me too, because I've been skateboarding for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So for example, my whole teenage years and stuff like I was skating but first of all there were no skate parks and second like nobody outside of the people you skate with were supportive of it like it was just seen as something so uncool and, and I don't even know how to to say it but like now I go street skating and people are like oh look mom it's the girl from the Olympics and they take photos <laughs> with me while I'm skating in the street <laughs> And like even security guards, like because so, sometimes you skate at places where it's, security guards are like, oh, you're the, oh yeah, and I, I know you from TV. <laughs> so it's like a whole other level of of acceptance, but it's kind of cool. I honestly really like it because for me, skateboarding was never something that I wanted to do as like a rebellious thing. Like it's just something that I like to like to do. Yeah. 
point you know what i mean like for, because i know for some people it's something that makes them like stand out or make them different from like everybody else but for me that's not something like that i thought was important in my skating so the 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 social acceptance is i love it i the more people who want to try skateboarding i'm like let's go <laughs> and yeah it's growing a lot in, in canada especially and you know a really fun fact is that right now the fastest growing demographic in all action sports is women skateboarding. So it's cool that there's a lot more diversity in skateboarding right now. Wow. And so why do you think that is? Why do you think that women have really taken to skateboarding? I think it's because first social media really helped because it de democratizes the visibility and like access to information. So for example, when I was young, I couldn't like if a video of Vanessa Torres didn't come out, I wouldn't see any other girl skate. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have access to other women skaters. Even if there were some, like they weren't visible because we didn't have social media and traditional media wouldn't talk about it. And skateboard companies wouldn't sponsor the girl. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so it's a whole cycle. But now I feel like with social media, if you want to have access to any type of inspiration, you can. And so visibility, really helps. And the fact that now there's more opportunities for women, like, for example, for the Olympics, you have to have women on your national team and, and a gold medal for women and for men is worth the same thing. So investment is kind of like the same for, for men and women. And some, some countries, uh, they have better, for example, they have better performance by the women in skateboarding. So the women get way more attention than the men. And that's, that's something that I think is kind of it's like kind of funny because when you think about performance, like for example, if your men's skateboarder is like the 15th best, even though he's better than the, the woman, but if the woman is third, she's going to like, she has more metal potential. So she's getting more investment. You know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. funny to, to see like that change in, in perspective. And I think all of this, the fact that like now it's seen as equal, and and it's getting as much attention that's the reason why a, a little girl like Haisa who is only 13 year old can like skateboard full time and become an olympian at 13 year old years old like if she didn't get any attention or support she, i don't think she would have pushed that much and but i think it's a good thing for sure for sure and i see it as more of an artistic discipline than a power discipline yeah mm -hmm. Exactly. But I think in the, it's going to be um, like, it takes a while because if you're thinking about Bones Brigade days, for example, like the men have been evolving for like in, in skateboarding and have been pushing it to like the maximum of its level for, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then for women, it's only been less than 10 years that there's actual, like there's actual people trying to push the performance, maybe 15. So I think we're like right now we're seeing the real growth and we're going to see the real potential of of women skateboarding in the next few years. The gap is going to close. <laughs> you mentioned social media. Are you active on social media? Yeah. So where can our fans find you? Most frequently, I would say Instagram and TikTok and then Facebook and YouTube as well. Okay. Let us let us know your handles. Um, so basically, it's my name. So it's Annie Guglia. But the A, well, so it's going to be like this on all social media, but the A is like the at. <laughs> I don't okay. know like how it's called, but you know what I mean? Like the yeah. Annie Guglia. Okay. <laughs> and one quick question mm. for you before I pass you back to Justin. Yeah. I have my opinions, but I want to hear yours. Who's the yes. greatest skateboarder of all time? Oof, that's a really hard question. Um, no pressure. It's funny because I've never had that question asked. 
so I like I really don't have a like I've never thought about this but I want to say like there's a reason why Tony Hawk is like so talked about because he pushed skateboarding in such a a, a funny and and weird way the same way that Leticia Buffoni did it for the girls mm-hmm. so these two are like very very uh, good but but then like it's kind of funny if you're like who's the best skateboarder I'm like Tony Hawk that would be like if if someone who like doesn't know skateboarding would <laughs> would be like that's the only one I know it's yes. a, it's a safe answer though I mean that's a safe answer it's hard well, to argue but, but, yeah but I'm just trying to figure to think of like like um without having like my personal well I mean not without like being like as the most objective like he's the one who's had the biggest influence on skateboarding ever I'm pretty sure you know yeah <laughs> you know what I'm not even going to think about it I'm going to go with Tony Hawk <laughs> okay I'll, I'll let you know mine okay so I think the greatest skateboarder of all time is Rodney Mullen Ooh, yeah that's an that would have been like a second choice for sure yeah I, I think he's invented the most moves yeah, he and did. he was just a almost a robot when it came to skateboarding. He was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, he's so interesting. I don't know, you've probably listened to interviews and stuff, but like if people who are watching haven't, I would highly suggest finding interviews with Randy Mullen because he's so interesting and yeah. the way he talks about. Oh, you know who right now is in that same sense? I don't know if you know Andy Anderson. Yes. Yeah, Andy Anderson right now would be like. He's the same, like, when it comes to his approach to skateboarding, he's the same as Randy Mullen, and it's really interesting. Right on. Love that. <laughs> okay, so so I don't know any of these people. Like, I'm not the biggest skateboarder. <laughs> all I know is Nolly Trayflip, and that's all I got. I that's know Hobson, enough. he's a rapper. He skateboards. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I always ask this question to all of our athletes we interview, and, you know, you are from Montreal, so I do feel like you understand this question, but... Um, have you ever had a poutine? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, I'm from Montreal, so, so I, I feel like that question is not fair to people who are from outside of Montreal. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had some from Vancouver just be like, uh, what? So What is a poutine? No, no, no. I'm from Montreal, so like literally it's everywhere around me and I love it. And that's I, So right now I'm in Mexico and I would say... People are like, do you miss maple syrup? And I'm like, no, but I but miss yes. a poutine. I mean, yeah, I, I do miss maple syrup, but there, there's some here, but like a poutine you can't find here. Mm. And I miss it. What is your favorite? Like the, the place? Not really, just so much the dish itself. Like mine is pulled pork with maple syrup. Oh, that's, that's good. But I don't think that would be my favorite. I like either the regular one, like just the regular one, or mm. the like when there's like a Mexican one. Uh, with, well, they say like it, they call it Mexican one, but like with like guacamole and like a bun- like jalapenos and stuff oh, like that. Okay. I really like it. Okay, I gotta ask then. Where where's the best poutine in Montreal? Mm, I would have said La Ban- La Banquise. Like if someone goes to Montreal, there's a restaurant called La Banquise. It's twenty four seven, and it's like. It's really good, and they have a lot of different. Um, like that's where I I brought my girlfriend when we came to Montreal. I was like, yeah, I have to try a poutine, and I went to La Banquise. But I wouldn't say it's like okay. necessarily the best one, but it's where you have the most choices, and it's like the tourist place to All bring right. people. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, that's that's good. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that one. All right, all right, and, and last question, just because you're from Montreal, so I feel like you may have had this too. Have you had a beaver tail? Yes. 
Of course, right? I love it. <laughs> oh my, we interviewed a person like, have you had a beaver tail? And they're like, dude, that sounds gross. <laughs> you sound gross. What? No, it's like, um, no, it's so good. But it, um, it's a little bit like a churros or like all those things, like the Mr. Puff and all mm. the, like all those like fried thing with sugar and cinnamon. Is that what it is? Like sugar yeah, and glorious. cinnamon flavor. Mm-hmm. It's so oh good. Oh my God. <laughs> Like, that's my passion. I think she might be the first person we've had on that's actually had one. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> really? I feel like people know the flavor. Like they've had something similar, like a mm. churros or like something like that, but they don't know like what a beaver tail especially is, but it's kind of the same flavor. And it's a, I don't, I feel like I'm, I'd be surprised if someone has never tasted something that tastes similar. And if they, oh, if they don't, oh, poor them. More for us. That's right. Yeah, more for us. Exactly. It's been awesome talking to you, Annie. Have a good time in Mexico. Perfect. Thank you so much. You too. Have a good day. Cheers. Bye, you too. Bye-bye. If you have any questions for the Pro Sports Podcasters, be sure to reach us on our Twitter account, where you can also slide into our DMs and catch the latest snippets, dirt, and other exclusive things that we will tweet Check us out at P Podcasters on Twitter.